0: You're listening to a Southern Star Media Production.
1: Hello and welcome to the Christmas Southern Star Coronavirus podcast. In the podcast this week we are looking back at a very busy year in West Cork and beyond and some of the highlights of our podcast series. Since the start of April, we have been hosting our weekly podcast from West Cork. We kicked off with an interview with Skibbereen woman, Emer Downing, a primary school teacher who spoke to us from her home in Bergamo in Italy, which back then was at the centre of the pandemic. But in the following nine months... Uh, myself, Siobhan Cronin, and my colleagues Emma Conley and Nilo Dreskell interviewed everyone from Oscar-winning film producer David Putnam to RTE's US correspondent Brian O'Donovan, singer-songwriter Mick Flannery, and even David Bowie's guitarist Jerry Leonard. So here are just some of our favourite highlights. In April, we spoke to Emer Downing, a Skipperine native based in Bergamo in Italy, who is teaching there you're probably at a stage now I'd imagine most people know somebody who has passed away from this is is that the stage where you'd be at now
2: yeah absolutely we were quite lucky that for the first week or two we hadn't heard much but then as time goes on it starts to be mostly elderly relations with people friends fathers things like that it is it's really really hard
1: and funerals of course they're there's probably nobody attending them at all. I mean, the the numbers are restricted in Ireland, but I I think initially, am I right in saying there's nobody attending them?
2: That's correct. If you're if somebody dies, you you stay at home and you mourn alone. Unfortunately,
1: Brian Donovan, RTU's correspondent in Washington, had a very busy year this year with the election and the pandemic, and he spoke to us in particular about his first day in Washington.
0: Well, I remember the very first day. It was a terrible blizzard here. It was January 2018. All of the western, or rather the eastern coast of the US had very heavy snowstorms. So I flew into JFK. A connecting flight that I was supposed to get to Washington got cancelled. Everything was delayed because of the snow. I ended up having to get a very late night train. I didn't get into Washington until about five or six o'clock in the morning. And I just remember being in a bad place because I'd said goodbye to my wife and kids. They were still in Ireland and they were going to stay in Ireland for six months. They weren't going to join me until the June so you know, I was like, "Oh, this isn't a great start," but I'll never forget. I arrived then into Union Station in Washington D.C. And if you know Union, it is a beautiful building for a train station, for any building, it's a gorgeous, big, high vaulted ceilings, real old, beautiful building. And you emerge out of Union Station, and I came out bleary eyed at five o'clock in the morning, and staring you in the face as the Capitol Building lit up on Capitol Hill, and it just looked amazing. And I felt better then. You know what I mean? It felt right, and I said, "I'm here. This is fun." And it was it was it was hit the ground running. I remember that was a I think it was late, kind of early hours of a Sunday morning. I think I arrived in and I ended up working that day. Uh, and it's never stopped since. It's been a busy, busy two years, but great fun.
1: Father Tom Hayes, the parish priest in Eneskeen, spoke to us during the year, and he told us about how the local priests of the parish are getting on, zooming.
3: I've actually been kept pretty busy, to be honest, partly because of um, what we were talking about and what I did with the communication stuff. So Bishop Fenton and the other priests have been kind of pulling me in to help with a lot of diocesan stuff. And I'm running the diocesan website and we're doing online web conferences and meetings on Holy Thursday. For example, Bishop Fenton took the initiative to meet with us online. Uh, Usually on Holy Thursday, all the priests of the diocese meet at the cathedral in Cork for a very special mass in which we bless the holy oils that are used for the year. We couldn't meet this year, but we did meet online in an online webinar. So we have 107 priests in the diocese and we had 83 of them in an online gathering. So we actually prayed together and met together and the bishop addressed us. Um, It's a... A small initiative, but an important initiative. But the reality, yes, is that given the age profile of our priests, we have a lot of men who are cocooned at the minute Mm -hmm. and can't do anything outside their door. And for some of them, it's really difficult because it's almost the opposite of our instinct. You know, every priest wants to be with his people. And as Father Con mentions in his podcast, the, you know, Especially when people that you know have a bereavement and people that you've maybe had on your first Friday call list that you've been calling to every month and all of a sudden one of them dies and you can't do the funeral. It's difficult. That's hard for the family and it's also hard for the priest. So there is a lot of crosses to be shared by a lot of people at this time, there's no doubt.
1: Ty Daly of Nursing Homes Ireland is a Drummer League native. And he talked to us about what got him through some of the very dark days of 2020.
4: I suppose I'm an optimist by nature. You'd want to be an optimist to work in the health service, um, unfortunately. So I'm an optimist by nature. I'm a positive person by nature. So I suppose I, yeah, and I suppose, look, it's about leaving, leaving a mark too, I suppose, at the end of the day, in all my career, thankfully, I've, I've left a mark for good or bad. Some might say maybe not all the marks I left were all the good ones, but I'd like to think when history is written down, said, you know, he did his best and uh, he worked hard and pretty much. Um my daughter, Myrna, finishes off my sentence. I said that the harder I work, the luckier I get. So, um, but yeah, I suppose optimistic, really, and hoping that all our efforts collectively, and that's not just nursing homes, I think as a society, we have a duty of care to our fellow citizens and hopefully that all of that will lead to brighter days ahead. Please, God.
1: We had a very busy chat about tourism at the start of the pandemic and Helen Collins from A Taste of West Cork Festival told us about being positive
5: through Covid. I think if if you asked the entire of Ireland if they could come to West Cork in the morning I'd say they would be in their cars and down the road but people need to feel as as Neil put it they need to feel they're going to be safe and if we can provide practical solutions to their safety I think they will be here for the summer. I think they will be here because it's going to be economic um, I saw today that there was some talk of staycation vouchers that was a call for those, which would be absolutely brilliant. And I think if we give them the means, that's why I want to do this directory, because I want to be able to say to a family in Dublin or Midlands or wherever, here is what you can do in West Cork. It's actually very simple. You can come and stay with Neil. You're going to be safe in the hotel. And here are a range of activities that the family can do for a whole week. And if you can't get access to restaurants because they're going to be so restricted, I think arrangements need to be made for people to be able to get takeaway food and have a nice place to eat it in because so many brilliant restaurants are providing such excellent takeaway services. So, People can stay in self-catering very safely. It's all of those things that are sensible and need to be put in front of families and people who want to go on holidays in Ireland this summer. And I think everybody will want it. We just need to make sure that they see that we have it available, that they see that that it is safe and is doable. And I think they will be in their cars and coming to West Cork. I really sincerely believe that if we give it to them as a practical solution.
1: One of the darker stories that emerged during the pandemic was the number of women seeking refuge because of domestic violence. We spoke to Marie Mulholland of the West Cork Women Against Violence Project. And she told us about the difficulty women have in making a call during lockdown.
6: It's very difficult to make a private call if you're in lockdown with your abuser. Where are you going to go to get that privacy? Is it going to be safe to do that? So that was the first problem and a major one. And the second one was that I think a lot of women felt, well, sure, even where would I go? You know, where do we go when we're in lockdown? You know, we can't get to a refuge. We can't get to uh, emergency accommodation. How would we actually get out of this situation? So what became really important was to try and, and uh, address that and let women know that there were options that we certainly in West Cork we had uh, located and we had sourced um, several Uh, emergency accommodation apartments that could be used by women who need to get out of their homes we had liaised with the Garda um, and we had worked out protocols to get women from A to B if they needed to with their children if that was if that was what the case was so that would that took a couple of weeks to get into place Siobhan and it was really tough work because it's tough enough to try and do that under normal circumstances, but to try and do it at almost one or two steps removed is even more difficult.
1: Oscar-winning film producer David Putnam, who is living in Skipperine, told us about some of his lockdown recommendations during the pandemic.
7: I've been watching a fair bit of Netflix. The uh, favourite, the best thing I've seen was a a four-parter called Unorthodox, which was wonderful, absolutely sensational, uh, I thought. Brilliantly made um what's that about I'm, david
1: i've seen it but i haven't but, uh, uh, it's about
7: it. orthodox jewish families in a particular part of new york and a girl who runs a girl who, who who runs away gets married but runs away to berlin it's all made in berlin they didn't make it at all in new york it's, it's wonderfully well made it's very emotional it's sensational performance by the girl who i've never heard of extraordinary um yeah then i drift around i've really enjoyed uh, uh a documentary series called The Last Dance about about basketball. I never ever thought I'd watch a thirteen part series about basketball. Right, that's the better. Michael
1: Jordan um documentary, is
7: it? Which I, I thought was good, again beautifully made. Uh I like the Taylor Taylor Swift documentary. Right. I was pleasantly surprised by. I love the documentary about Obama's last year in the White House. Right. And I discovered and I discovered Samantha Power. I didn't know she was Irish. Yes. So at the moment I'm a great her...
1: book as well you'll have to look look up now.
7: Reading it, making yes. a, making of a, of a, 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 a an idealist. I'm, yes. I'm reading it. right
1: now. Cork Southwest Social Democrat TD Holly Kearns, who was very much in the news coming up to Christmas, had spoken to us at length about her experience of sexism in politics and, in particular, at meetings in Cork County Council.
8: When we talk about you know the ingrained old school style of politics, it's it's very difficult to articulate this, but. For example, on Cork County Council, if there's a group of um, county councillors and a group of council officials and stuff, and they're all standing around having a conversation, and it could be about a project, the development of a project, or funding streams, or things like that, and if you then enter the conversation and the the, the, the whole conversation sort of changes, and there could be something I remember just often having this conversation. So Somebody says, oh, you know, a comment on your appearance, for example. And if you don't just say, oh, thanks so much, you can't take a compliment. But the reality is that you haven't been able to join in in the conversation that was happening and that's part of your job. So until it's just, until there's just equal participation, you don't, there's no equality. Um, And that's just the reality. So uh, we have a really, really long way to go. And it was absolutely a draw for me to not be, um, you know, a, a token female on the ticket. You see that in the bigger parties. Um, the perception that people who are fighting for gender equality love gender quotas is, you know, kind of crazy. I don't think any anyone I've ever met wants to be that gender quota. Yeah. But um, unfortunately we've waited long enough for gender equality to just happen. And, you know, that's a necessary tool that sometimes has to be brought in.
1: Cork Airport has had a very difficult year this year. And we spoke to Neil McCarthy and Kevin Cullinan during the year from the airport. And Neil told us that he believes that the future of aviation is green aviation.
9: The future of aviation is greener aviation. And you can do things with biofuels. For example, Ireland could become a centre of excellence in the production of biofuels, which are less have a less damaging carbon footprint. You can encourage airlines to operate with cleaner planes and newer planes and cleaner plane engines. For example, all the newer planes have substantially less emissions. So people immediately default to, 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 is it going to be taxed? And that would be hugely damaging to Ireland's tourism industry. Uh, it would be hugely damaging to people who need to travel for business as well. And um, maybe there's a way to do in terms of encouraging biofuel development, making Ireland the centre of excellence encouraging airlines through some rebates scheme to use newer and cleaner plane engines so there's probably a meeting of the ways there where we can still have tourism we can still have travel but it can be greener.
1: Deputy Michael Collins was one of our guests during the year and he'd been in the news quite a lot himself for various reasons and he also told us about his own particular comments on immigration.
10: I think that First of all, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with the first one. First of all, the comments about immigrants saying all people should come first. And I explained that in more detail and maybe it wasn't or was picked up. I felt that, you know, we could be all, like we say, with direct provision, we're, we're, the government and the state were trying to tick a box. That's my personal view. They were bringing these people in. There was no one's cleaned the product. They were shoved into a room in a hotel. That's no way to treat people. That was an absolute disgraceful way to treat people. And I always say that and it's proven out because of COVID and the outbreak in sars and blah, 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 wherever. And I always should be. If, if people are brought into our country, leave them. Uh, we have to look at um, um, rural resettlement, where families could move into a rural community, not 30 or 40 families, because that's not going to work. It's not going to work for them. It's not going to work for the community. Two or three families are fine, because we have the facilities in rural Ireland. I'm seeing it forever. But don't, my idea was, what? What's, where are we going here? We can't resolve the man and the woman on the street, and and that was the situation at the time in the summer and the winter. Sorry, they were dying, but we want to bring more in from another world. Don't they tell me they're in worse off condition? I respect that in some countries they more than not. Uh But you know, I, I I just felt that we need to we need to be careful here where we're going. We need to get the people off the street first, and yeah, regardless if they're Irish or not, because some of them are not. They're non nationals on on the streets as well. And but we need to we, look after him. Michael,
1: people. haven't we room for everybody if it's just done properly?
10: But, Siobhan, we haven't. And that's the sad thing. It hasn't been done properly. And it's shocking what we've done. And I, as late as last week, I've been approached, and it's outside of my constituency. I'm no gain to get on this uh, about a, a development in, in, up the country. And I, I'm tempted not to, I better not name it at the moment, but I, I'd say it will be very soon doing it anyway. And they have approached the state to house people in direct provision. Fabulous apartments, suited perfect, along the line that this government are so-called dreaming. And and, and I've mentioned it, I think, twice in the Dáil this week. If you listen to my, have a chance to listen to my speeches and some place. And nobody wants to get back to the developer here. Obviously, he has to make money, but I don't mind. This is what they're saying, to take people out of hotels that are in direct provision and give them a comfortable and honest living. And in a safe environment.
1: Actress Carol Drinkwater joined us from France during the year. She's best known for playing Helen Harriet in All Creatures Great and Small, the wonderful drama series about a veterinary surgery in the UK. She told us why she had chosen Bantry to speak about an experience of having been
11: sexually assaulted. And it was at the West Cork Literary Festival, which is where I should be this week if all things have been normal. Um, where I was interviewed, and I was talking about The Lost Girl, and it was there that um, the lady who was um, interviewing me, uh, whose name doesn't come to mind immediately, a lovely lady, um, she asked me about it, and I said that it was based on a, a real episode. And it was from them, that was it, was before the Me Too move, movement by about three months, I'd say. So I was a little bit ahead of not that I did it for that reason, mm-hmm. I just needed to get it out. and this book seemed the perfect place to put it. And once I started, once I had written about it and the book got published, I realized it was such a big thing that I had been carrying. I mean, you know, a real iceberg inside me. And so talking about it in, in Bantry uh, was the beginning. It was like the first step. And then I talked to the guardian and then I wrote the piece for the mail, the Saturday essay for the um, English mail, daily mail. And, um, I wasn't going to say who he was. And then, um, the lady from The Guardian says to me, I really think, you know, name him and shame him. So I did. And, and it has been such a release for me to talk about it, to open up about it, to admit that, that it has made a a, a, a a very, it has stained my my career and my life. There is no question about it. I'm not saying that I would have been more of this or less of this, but it has definitely been something that I have carried with me for decades.
1: We had an environmental-themed podcast during the year where we spoke to Dr Tara Shine of Change by Degrees based in Kinsale and young activist Alicia O'Sullivan. During our chat, Dr Tara Shine told us that you can't separate the health of human beings from the health of the planet.
12: This point that we're constantly making that you can't separate the health of the environment from the health of us as human beings is actually coming to the fore at the moment and I think for me, there have always been periods of time where the policy boring people like me, um, we just chuck along in the background, even when the, even when the spotlight goes off, climate and environment. But it always comes back. And then that boring, trudgy work that we're doing in the background is still really important. So that's always a message I have for people of Alicia's generation and younger too. It's it's not that we haven't done anything about climate um, over the last 20 years. We've done a lot of policy making and testing and seeing what works and what doesn't work. So it isn't all on on, on the shoulders of, of the youth. Some There is something there to build on and um, that I hope can help her generation then scale up and move faster and with greater urgency than my generation has. But I do hope that we've done some of the that groundwork that's there Um, and it tends to be invisible and that's fine but I think you know it'll help us to scale up faster once we get this momentum and political will and I think that's where my objectives and Alicia's and so many's are completely aligned we just want to grow the conversation we want more people in Ireland to talk about climate from whatever angle works for them whether they care about it because of plastic pollution or their health or their kids health or their job or what job, what their kids should go to university and, and, and study. All of these things are connected to how we deal with the climate crisis. So people just have to find the right way in for them.
1: Seven Ocean Swimmer, Steve Redmond, gave us a very entertaining interview during the year, soon after another one of his mammoth swims. And he spoke about jellyfish exploding like machine gun fire between Shirkin and Cape Clear.
13: We got this swim and we realized this is incredible. The water out here, the the clarity, it's far better than some of the swims we've done. And uh, it's right in our own back door. And we said, maybe we could get out and come back. Is that feasible? And both John and Kieran looked at it and said, look, it's really, really difficult because of the tide and the problems uh, you have between uh, Cape and the Fastnet. The The water there, they call a river. Like you go out there, Today and then you go out tomorrow, and it's it's completely different every time you go out there. So nobody can judge what it's going to be doing.
1: And there's also and, uh, a we just looked at it. and Cape here is a bit of a problem too.
13: Gasconon, mm-hmm. that's that's a, that's a dreadful place. I I try to keep. I have nightmares about that place. It's right. it's because it's the water just gets. They call it the suck. You get sucked in there. You don't come out. You can't get out because the, the water just holds you in there for, until the tide turns, and then you're beggared. You just can't get beyond it uh so and and between that and the jellyfish exploding off you like a machine gun fire coming through it uh, the small little jellies and everything comes that comes through it it's just like a uh shaking a bottle of lemonade and opening the cap that's the best way to describe it in that place and it just all hits you as you're coming alongside it so we try to keep out around a mile two miles but even then there's still there's still a huge effect in the water so uh, it, it really was a technical swim and uh Unfortunately, as I say, I'm a tad obsessional, so <laughs> I spent the last four years trying to get this swim.
1: The new boss of the Ludgate Digital Hub and Skipperine, Gronia O'Keefe, also joined us for a chat this year, and she told us about living in New York during nine eleven.
14: Yeah, so I I had just moved there that June, um, so I didn't know that many people yet. Uh, so that that was, I was that was a fortunate thing for me. But I was working with people who knew people um and I was downtown Manhattan. I was a few blocks away from it, so I was held in the building uh We weren't allowed to leave the building, and so when the twin towers came down, we would have seen the debris and the dust and that cloud and then you realized how you know how ominous it was and i I had gone to work early that morning because we were talking to London about some project, and uh, so I had been in before the first plane hit, and so the guys, the team in London had heard the news before we did, because they had the BBC news up on a big screen, and they they thought it was just a small plane, a small twin aircraft or whatever, so we didn't realise the magnitude and significance of it until a couple of hours later, so... That was obviously very traumatic and a friend of mine from West Cork, Ronnie McCarthy, um, she was there as well at the time and so my initial reaction was to get she lived very close to, to um, and I knew she was commuting to work and so I you know I immediately tried to contact her to make sure she was safe um, but then our phone lines went down so you actually couldn't contact anybody anymore um, and I do remember phoning home to let them know that I was safe but I normally only phone on weekends and my dad, who uh, was still alive at the time, he was on—he was home from lunch. He was the local GP here in Spring, Dr. John O'Keefe. and he was good, like, Rania, it's great to hear from you. What, what are you calling on a Tuesday for? And he hadn't heard the news, you know. So I said, "Dad, I'm safe. I'm fine." And um, yeah, so that was a very peculiar experience, I suppose. Uh, it certainly bonded me to New York, the people of New York, the citizens of New York, and it was. Um, Obviously, something nobody ever wants to experience.
1: Back in the news again later in the year, Patrick Murphy of the Irish South and West Fisheries Organisation gave us a very detailed description of his fears for the future of the industry. And he told us about one family in particular, the O'Driscolls, and why they have left fishing.
9: We did a documentary with a girl, Dorina uh, Clancy, um, brilliant, brilliant uh, the documentary maker, excellent media person. And um, it's called Gaffer's And And I'm I'm shown in that. But um, it was meant to be about the industry and the shore and everything around. It changed as the interviews carried out. And it showed the real, true story of the industry with the O'Driscoll family, who moved from Sharkin and went to Cascon Bear. And how they've left the industry now. Even though they had succeeded, they got to the pinnacle of it. They had a beautiful boat, um, able to catch pelagic and whitefish. Could travel anywhere in the world, and they decided, look, we just got to get out of this. They had the boat, you know. Well, I, won't, I shouldn't be saying too much information; <laughs> they mightn't thank me for it. But there was no need for them to leave the industry. Young, healthy, very skilled people to leave it. So there was other reasons that made them leave that. So um when you see that, then I have to put the same effort in to try and keep people there. So as a fisherman myself, I really love the industry. I, 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 to me, there's nothing better. So I will spend seven days a week at this job. Um, the only time you won't get me is when I'm asleep or when I'm talking to somebody else.
1: Former TD Jim Daly from Fine Gael joined us as well for a chat and he gave us his thoughts on hearing about the Golfgate scandal.
15: I mean, the minute I saw it, I said, oh, my God. I mean, the the second I saw it, I just said, oh, wow, this is a story that, you know, my God, they haven't seen the likes of this in my lifetime. Uh, I'm not defending it for a second because it is completely indefensible. I mean, 100%. But like there was two TDs there at the same time, you know, and people will forget that side of it. There was two TDs out of 160. T.D.'s and Dolly were at that event. So it wasn't like they were all there, to, you know, which is kind of the, the, the narrative that can emerge potentially. And we just want to be careful not to throw the, the baby out with the bat water.
1: Award-winning Clonacilty author Louise O'Neill was our guest during the year. And she spoke at length about getting help for anorexia.
2: I was writing two books in 2017, you know, I was writing almost love and I was writing after the silence and I started to think about, okay, these books are going to be released within two months of each other in 2018. And I thought if I'm not, if I'm not in recovery, I am going to, I won't survive it. Like I think it was a genuine and, and people think that seems a bit dramatic, but when you're putting your body under that much pressure, like, and you're not feeding it and like, it's just like and I kept I kept having this kind of recurring thought where I'm going to have a heart attack and my heart is going to give out because that had been something when I was 21 and when I had been admitted to John and God's with anorexia that they were very concerned about um, my heart so I kept thinking I was like it's just not going to be able to withstand this so I started seeing I started going to the um Eating disorder um, centre in Cork, which I think is imperative. And now when people come to me and they ask me for help, I'm like, you can't just go to a normal therapist. You have as brilliant as they are, Mm -hmm. like you have to go to someone who is a specialist in this because it would be like having cancer um, and going uh, and expecting your GP to treat you. Like you need an expert, you need someone who's a specialist in this.
1: The environment was back on the agenda again when we chatted with Brendan McCarthy of Skibbereen's SOS Group. He told us about the proposed plastics factory, which has since been shelved, and how he believed it wasn't worth it for just fifteen jobs.
16: Yeah, definitely. Like, and <clears throat> I remember growing up behind the first and second factories there, Starball and Spirelux, as it was at the time, and there was loads of jobs and Denpec, which was the most recently developed unit in 82. There was loads of jobs on those sites, but like this factory, realistically, we were talking about 15 to 20 jobs. And for the size of the structure and all the concerns that were there with it, we just, I and we didn't feel that it was it was worth those 15 jobs. You know, it would be at the detriment of lots of other jobs in the area. And especially when you see like Skibbereen and I still even think about how much skibbering has come on in the last few years with all the different things, like with brand new state of the community school, brilliant sewerage scheme done in recent times, the flood defense scheme, which was, you know, some people don't agree with it. It's not the most pretty thing to look at, but it saved the town a few weeks ago, <clears throat> apart from the Bridge Street Residents and Businesses, which wasn't directly part of the defenses scheme. That was a different issue. So, and you know, we've got um, loads of positives. That, on the job side, we've got Ludgate, we've got Spearline, we've got, you know, again, a, a recent planning application for the old convent site in Skibarine to be done up. All of these, creating lots of jobs, using exi- existing buildings, not loads of traffic in and out of trucks and stuff, you know. But every time, uh, every time I was on the local radio or the local press or anything, there was always a couple of phone calls came in, what about the jobs and... They're only looking at, it's a um, nimbyism and this kind of stuff was thrown at us. But, you know, you'll have that, I suppose.
1: MEP Deirdre Clune joined us for a chat and she spoke about all things political, about her father's involvement in politics, but also how Barry's Tea came about.
17: When well, growing up, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was the job my, my father, father did to the tea shop, the tea evolved from a small shop in town a grocery shop and the tea was the product was popular and they just from that recognized that and grew it to what it is today so my brother tony is involved in the business now um and that's it but other than yeah not many people know that i grew up with the um group i am a barry is my was my maiden name so barry's tea and it's become uh really i think even in these times it's become uh, really popular and people you know recognize it's the to go back to not back to tradition but back to the things that you maybe grew up with or that are that comfort, comfort food that you recognize really. comfort foods. yeah because yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, i noticed
1: so it it has become one of the you know these um surveys they do on trusted brands of ireland and recognizable brands and it has moved up the rankings quite a lot in the last few years so i mean that must be a great um reassurance to you too that it's such a lovely recognizable and respected brand
17: yeah, it is it is nice. It's nice to know, um and because I, I know know it from where it's where it's come from. It was my my great grandfather established the product first, uh in nineteen well, the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, and then my grandfather was in it, my father, my brother Tony now. So it's um it's been in the family for, for, for a long time. Well, the family's been associated with it so and it has grown. It has grown as a I think the the marketing campaign has helped and, and it, well, it's a good product too. So um, I think Billy was, uh, Billy, even Billy drinks tea, drinks berries. So that, He does, <laughs> He was upset
1: that someone had put lions in his, uh, in his uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brussels, I think.
17: So, um, well, I can't bring it with me all the time anyway, when you're travelling <laughs> in rooms so of the, the bags, um, the tea bags for wherever you end up.
1: As local towns struggled with a very tough year, we had a chat about shopping locally. And Dear Murphy from the Bantry Business Association told us, about the importance of shopping with your local shop and not online with big conglomerates.
3: Amazon aren't going to be supporting the local under-12 football team next year, you know. Uh, open your eyes a little bit, I think, or a message to people and say that like, businesses do give back to the community, but they have to be open to be able to do that and you have to support them.
1: The Chief Superintendent of the Cork West Division, Con Cadigan, joined us for a chat and he told us about some wonderful new technology that's being employed at checkpoints now.
4: Uh, Yes, uh, Siobhan, we have what we refer to as the mobility units now. They're basically a mobile phone, and and indeed, I even have got complaints here where members of the public are ringing in and saying, has the guard anything better to be doing at a checkpoint than playing on his mobile phone? But In in essence, actually, what the guard are doing, they're reading the number plates of the cars that they come up to the checkpoint, they can tell exactly who you are, who owns the car, and that. And in a lot of instances, you know, we wave on people at checkpoints because we know exactly who they are and that they're local and that as well. And um, I suppose the, the other side of it as well, to tell you immediately if a car is not insured or if, you know, there's no tax on the car, the, the phone actually can, you would have it set to vibrate in your hand. So you know exactly, So it, it's very easy to, to detect you know, people with uninsured cars, untaxed uh, cars, and indeed you have cars coming up to checkpoints with, with false number plates on them. You know? Okay, so, so the uh, phone
1: will vibrate if there's something untoward and it's kind of a, a little alert, is it, for the guard to to say, hang uh, on here, now let's stop and check?
4: Exactly, and like people would, you probably have seen it yourself, you know, you would see a line of ten cars coming along, and the next thing all of a sudden you see the guard pulling one car out of the ten, and people are wondering why did they pull him over, so... They have the information already, so they know exactly from the, the technology um, who the person of the car is untaxed or uninsured.
1: West Cork farmer Vanessa Kylie O'Connor joined my colleague Emma Connolly for a chat. and She spoke about the challenges of poor rural internet and how she had to set up an office in her car.
18: Oh, it's, it's, it has been a nightmare and I mean it is a nightmare for the whole of rural Ireland really you know uh, we really need to, to bring broadband everywhere now. I, my business depends on me having internet connection and I mean today is a sunny day and I still have to sit in my car to connect you to because my daughter is on a Zoom call to her school. Yeah. So you know we both can't draw on, on the same internet so I have I have my, my phone data on my phone that we're talking with because I can't link in there and affect her school. Now, we've had the added relief of the decision being made on the leaving search because I have a son yes. in the leaving search. So, you know, there for the past couple of months, there was two of them online daily. Um, and, you know, it was quite stressful. Like anything we submit, you know, if we have to deal with the Department of Agriculture, they now require us to do everything online, even if it's registering your calves, everything. You know, um, I did the the calf investment scheme with, um, application there in January but I had to upload everything. I literally had to drive a mile up the road on a wet day to get a proper connection.
1: RT broadcaster Jackie Hurley had a book out during the year and she spoke to Emma Connolly about how to get your kid to play sport and enjoy it.
19: It's something that I say to parents all the time because I get a lot of letters. I get a lot of emails from people. Parents stop me and they say, how do I get my kids to play? And by the way, this is not an issue that's exclusive to girls either Mm. because, you know, I do see it with boys sometimes too. The key is you have to find your own thing. And sometimes it takes people longer. Like, you know, I have an older sister and I have a younger brother. My younger brother was a motorcycle champion in Ireland, but it took him until he was in his twenties to find that sport. He had his whole teenage life following me and my sister who were both very successful athletes. And he found it really difficult. And sometimes with parents, it's just about persevering and saying, look, even if your kid is on the line and they don't, you know, they're not getting any enjoyment out of that find them something else because Mm. they're going to come to something that they enjoy. Because if you can just even get the social aspect of it, and as you say, the nights out, the crack, all that, like I'm still playing basketball in a a league that's much less competitive than what I would have played. But what I love about it is that it's my social outlet. I can go and get my physical burst. But also the crack that I have with the girls afterwards is irreplaceable in my Mm. life. It really Mm. is.
1: Skipperine nutritionist Mijelle O'Neill was Emma Connolly's guest for one of our podcasts. And she's explained how five deep breaths
20: can change your day. And when we're stressed, we have a tendency to shallow breathe. Um, And it becomes more pronounced when we don't move much. So if I just suddenly get up off the chair here and walk across the room, I would be forced to breathe a little bit more deeper to give me a little bit more oxygen to move. But if we spend four five, lots of times we can spend four hours just in front of a laptop or doing something that's quite stationary, we can go into almost rest mode. Our breath, our breathing becomes quite shallow and we're not oxygenating our tissue. So that metabolic process, that production of cellular ATP gets compromised and we actually our our cell, our energy levels go down. And one of the things you can do, and again, talking about habits, just create a habit of, I tell even people every now and again, even if they get the habit going, set a little alarm on their phone for every hour, down tools and take five deep breaths. And starting with the out breath, emptying the lungs. And when you put your hand on your belly, you should feel the belly expand when you breathe in. Because your diaphragm, which is the muscle that, sell, that separates your, your thoracic cavity from your abdominal cavity, that should go down and should make your belly go out when you breathe in. And so when you take those very deep breaths and you breathe out completely, your belly should contract. Former Sinn Féin counsellor and now independent counsellor
1: Paul Hayes had a chat with Emma Connolly and he told us about a year without beer.
21: Uh, went off on a family holiday uh, and again there was a a twinning trip to to Waldeshof in Germany as well um, late June and into early July last year Uh, so again had a few beers along the way and a few glasses of wine as you do Mm -hmm. uh, at all these different events Um, and then my brother and I and a few friends we headed up Karantoul uh, it was a fundraiser for uh, a friend of mine in Clonacilty suffering with motor neuron disease. So again, we had a great day, a fantastic uh, sunny day going up Cran Tool, uh, great crack. And uh, yeah, we, 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 we still managed to celebrate. have some energy to, to celebrate exactly in Killarney that night. So a, a good night was had, as they say. Um, but yeah, again, the, the day after I returned home to Mac, and uh, I think my brother was still enjoying a beer or two. So I sent him a picture of... Uh, my, my first bottle of Heineken Zero beer and uh, I said, right, I'm, I'm taking a break uh, after this. And uh, that was the start of it, really. So, yeah, uh, one week turned into two weeks and a month passed and two months passed. And all of a yeah. sudden we're over we're year.
1: Film director Michael McCormack's film Breaking Out came out during the year and he spoke to Emma Connolly about how the late West Cork musician Fergus O'Farrell didn't let his illness define him.
15: Yeah, but no, I mean, anyone who knew well would, would say this. Uh, you didn't notice it. You yeah. didn't notice the disease. You didn't notice the suffering because he was just so much fun. I spent okay. most of my time laughing my ass off with him. He was the funniest man I ever knew. And when you did notice, uh, he would quickly change the subject or he'd be... You know, he had so much so much of an interest in other people. He would always find a way of moving off that. He, he didn't like to dwell on it. But as you said, there came a stage where it's a, it's a horrible disease. Um, it it came, came to a stage where the one thing that uh, mattered most to him was his breath and the way he could turn it into a song. Mm. And when that became a constant struggle he was finding it, finding it really hard because he was losing the opportunity to to sing. And he saw that on the horizon and that, that was killing him. Yeah. And having to battle for the breath was the hardest thing. But for me, I spent most of my time laughing with him. It was difficult towards the end, but I would say um, that's what made him so remarkable. And I think I always knew that as well, that when people stepped into this world and saw this film that even though on paper it might seem like he might have a difficult and tragic life, it's not that at all. Okay. And you come, through, you come through his story, I hope, feeling uplifted.
1: Thank you for joining us for our look back at 2020 through the eyes of our weekly podcast. We would like to thank all our guests during 2020 for sharing their incredible stories, advice and hopes with us and for all the laughs along the way. We hope you enjoyed it too. And everyone at the Southern Star wishes you and your family a happy and safe Christmas and a wonderful 2021.
0: Thanks for listening to another Southern Star Media podcast production. Stay connected to West Cork by subscribing to our e-paper and support local, quality and trusted journalism. Visit www.subscribe.southernstar.ie.